Mario, welcome back, man. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> welcome back to the Shiller and Hamilton podcast. Appreciate you uh, spending the afternoon with us a little bit here. Um, so last time you were here, it was with our friend and one of your protégés, um, Vit, who was about to have one of his, what is it, his, was it third pro fight or fourth pro fight? Uh, was it Raphael? Yeah. It was third. Third, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and we talked a lot about Vit's background, but we didn't really talk about <laughs> yours. So I was like, man, you know, we talked so much about Vit, I want to hear more about Mario. Um, so thanks for coming back. Appreciate that. Thank you for coming um, back. So one thing, t- first thing first, Light Bright. Tell me about Light Bright. The name and <laughs> and the gym. Funny story. Yeah. I used to work at uh, Boyd Hill Recreational Center. Was, um, I'd be the only white person in there like playing basketball, which I don't mind. It doesn't, it doesn't bother me whatsoever. And I used to have bright shoes, bright yellow shoes, of course, because yellow is my thing. And uh, the guys called, started calling me Light Bright, and I just kind of stuck in the name, and that's how it all started. And then you kind of turned that into your brand. Yes. <laughs> so yes. you went with it. They might have been joking. It might have even, I'm sure they didn't mean it in like a mean way, mm-hmm. but um, you kind of took like a joke and turned it into like your whole brand. Exactly. Um, so when did you start Light Bright Boxing or the gym? 2012. And I started it actually from my garage. Mm-hmm. And then we kind of progressed towards... Um, where we're at now. And um, tell me about the why. Why did you start this gym? All right. And tell so, me more about like what it actually is, like why right. you do what you do. Yeah, so I actually started boxing in college mm-hmm. in 2004. So it's been a, quite a while now. You're looking at 16, 16 17 years. But anyways, um, so I started boxing, and then I kind of like got out of it a little bit when I after I left college and came down here and then got back into it. And I just kind of really enjoy boxing. Like, I just really enjoy, like, the the thought, like, as we were talking earlier, mm-hmm. like, that that thought process has to be there. And it's like a, it's like a game to me. It's like a chess game to me. Mm-hmm. I know it kind of sounds funny because you're getting punched in the face and you're like, well, it's not a game. Yeah. But it is a game in my head. And I enjoy the 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 chess match that goes on. So you're like a nice, friendly guy. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you've chosen to participate and dedicate a huge part of your life to helping others participate in a sport that's pretty violent inherent yes. i mean that's what it is it's mm-hmm. it's it's a measured level of violence right yes um i mean it seems or at least from the outside if you if you don't really know you or you don't really know boxing um that those two things just don't mix together like how can someone who um you know is a nice guy you know friendly be really into like Punching people in the face. Like, how, how does this work? <laughs> I have a mean side to me. Okay. Bad, actually. <laughs> um, I did six years in the Army Infantry, mm-hmm. and I did a tour in uh, downtown Ramadi, Iraq, 2005, 2006. And so one of the things that boxing helped me do was kind of help me reintroduce myself back into the civilian world, mm. which, you know, when you go from a world war-toward country and you're constantly in combat, like I was, you need an outlet. And a lot of times you'll see veterans, you know, they'll choose alcohol or they'll choose drugs or whatever they choose. I chose boxing and it helps me kind of get my level of aggression out that is pent up from the military and from, you know, what it is. And it actually helps me a lot. And then I saw that it's not just me who has a lot of issues. I mean, there's a lot of people who are angry in the world. Mm-hmm. And in some way, even though boxing is violent, there's actually a sweetness of getting that out. It's more a controlled environment. Like the amateurs, it's very controlled. Um, the safety of the boxers is the number one rule in boxing in amateurs. And so, when you take people, like we're doing a program right now that is uh, 
through DJJ and we're taking the kids that are coming to our gym and they got in trouble for this and that, blah, blah, blah. And you're like, well, why would you take DJJ kids who are already in trouble to come to a boxing gym to learn how to fight? But there's actually a, a lot of discipline that happens, mm-hmm. especially when they start going into practice and they kind of get humbled and they walk in and they know that they're not the baddest person in the world anymore. And so that kind of humbles them and then they get punched in the face and that kind of humbles you and then you get punched in the body and that kind of humbles you and then you start really developing like more sense of, um, uh, how do I say this? Like uh, you start questioning things like I'm not, I shouldn't just lean in head first. Let me, let me think about this a little bit more and then progress. So there's a lot to unpack in, in those few sentences. Yes. Um, let's back up a little bit and then I want to definitely get into the um, DJJ stuff. Mm-hmm. So you were in the military when did you go into the military? Oh, I'm sorry. 2003 is when I joined. Got okay. out in 2009. Um, so this was post 9-11. This was Iraq, Afghanistan, heyday, like everything going on. Yes. Um, and so you were infantry? Yes. Um, and so where did you say, where was your first deployment? It was downtown Ramadi, Iraq. Mm-hmm. Okay. And we were in pretty pretty bad, pretty bad area, to be honest with you. We had a lot of guys from our team and our squad and our opportunity that got killed. Um, so you, you're in the military and you're in a high stress, high degree of violence environment, right? Yes. And um, and then all of a sudden, that's over. Like, you come back, you come back stateside, and you're in just normal society, and everyone tells you, turn that off, right? Like, yes. <laughs> don't, do, don't, don't be the way we made you be anymore. Yeah. Um, what was your, how, like, aware were you of that? Like, did you have, like, self-awareness of, of kind of that transition while you were going through that transition. Let me explain a little bit. So what was your thought? Like, how did you deal with it? I mean, did you realize um, that that would be difficult? Did you like plan for it? Um, did the military help you plan <laughs> for it? Like, or were you just kind of thrown into the deep end of like back into civilian world? And you were like, I don't know what's wrong with me, but I'm like, I'm angry. I need to do something. Yes. Kind of sort of, I mean, the military does try to like get some like debriefing mm-hmm. and, you know, being, but the thing is, like, as a much comment as I saw and as much things I saw that, you know, I would not want to see anybody else, it's uh, it's still there. It doesn't matter how much debriefing you do. And there's still going to be a streak to you that doesn't go away. Mm-hmm. And it's, even to this day, it doesn't go away. You know, if I'm kind of feeling upset, I start sparring again. Yeah. <laughs> I feel better all of a sudden. Well, so that kind of begs the question. So it's yeah. not like you get, you're transitioning out of the military and someone in the military says, hey, Mario, you should box because we think that could help you with this transition. Um, so I'm guessing that's not what happened, right? (laughs) So what, what actually did happen? How did you kind of say, Oh, that let's do that. And like, did you try anything else first or how did you kind of land on boxing? Well, I mean, I I did like boxing growing up. I didn't watch it too much, but I I mean, I like Mm -hmm. Mike Tyson, of course, and I played the punch out games and, you know, just love that boxing atmosphere. But then when it came back to the military, just something I've always been athletic and always had a sports are kind of like another outlet of mine Mm -hmm. in life, you know, because a lot of people, when they graduate high school, they always talk about, oh, in high school, in their 50s, 70s, 60s, you know, they're still talking about the high school days. So it's, obviously they were good athletes and they were, that's, that was their identity. And so w- when you leave high school and you don't play in college, you, your identity has changed a little bit. Mm-hmm. And so when I came back from the military, of course, I'm no longer infantryman. I am a civilian. And, but you still can't, it's, I don't know, it's just like one of those things. And I gravitate to it. I've always loved martial arts. Um, we did uh, jujitsu in the military. I, I love that. I wrestled in you know, high school. I had a scholarship to wrestle in college. Mm-hmm. So it kind of like combat sports are kind of always, well, sports in general, but then more specific combat later in my life. Hmm. Um, where did you first start boxing? Where did I start boxing? Um, 
started boxing in college. Okay. That's where it was. I was it in a, like a controlled gym or was it like someone's backyard? No, actually it was a controlled gym. Okay. Lock Haven University in Pennsylvania, they have actually a boxing club team, which is rare now. That is rare, yeah. Yeah, but they had one, and Winthrop actually had one for a while, but then they canned it because they had some rules that weren't, you couldn't do boxing. Hmm. And so, um, but yeah, they had one, and I actually jumped on their team, and I had an old Russian coach, mm-hmm. <laughs> and he would... He would uh, Today we work on distance. Yes. <laughs> he was kind of a funny guy. Today is day of distance. <laughs> yeah. Today is day of footwork. Yes. <laughs> but he was kind of like one of the old school Russian coaches. And um, I liked him. And then I just kind of, as I went back into the military and came back and just kind of transitioned to my own thing. Mm-hmm. So when did you actually transition from um, being a boxer to training other people? Yeah. <laughs> um, hmm. So I've always trained other people, even when I was boxing, like on an active level in my amateur career. I always trained other people, but I've, you know, I think it was early 30s I switched over to more training based because I last fight I think I was 32. I want to say mm-hmm. last fight, and yeah, from my last fight I was 32, and then from there I kind of transferred over to more coaching. Mm-hmm. And you train everyone yes. from seven-year-old kids to old lawyers to, <laughs> um, like legit professional fighters. Yes. Um, and I think that's pretty cool. Sure. But my question is like, how do you set? So each of those people have wildly different skill sets, wildly different goals, mm-hmm. um, different levels of ability, like not necessarily trying to be a pro fighter. Um, how do you manage as a trainer to, manage all those folks different like goals and skill sets and is it difficult for you to like adapt to each of these students or each of these boxers well yes okay so yes the answer the question (laughs) yes you know because when you deal with kids their attention span is not there Mm -hmm. so you have to change over to a little bit more game-based you know you do activities game and then move on and then as you get older and 14 15s they actually can be more coherent and more cognitive and you can do more things and they have attention span a little bit longer and you can kind of progress to this. And then you have people who are older than that who have the ability to, like, mentally understand things, like our practice today, mm-hmm. you know, mentally understand things that that's really hard to teach younger. But it's still, I don't know, I, I feel that every person should have some level of self-defense because the fact that the world we live in is not pretty. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful world, but it sometimes can be not pretty. And so you always should have that level of protection to know that you're confident in yourself to, one, protect yourself and your loved ones. Hmm. And that, that confidence goes a long way. It almost seems to me like, um, when you do have that confidence, you're almost less likely to have to use it because that confidence is very, very evident. And I don't mean that in like an arrogant way, because, um, like you mentioned, like boxing is very humbling. Like people that come in, it's like, Oh, this is a discipline. This is Mm -hmm. something that you don't really just, you don't play boxing. (laughs) It's something that you have to be committed to. Um, and so I think for a lot of a lot of people, like maybe they don't set out to have that, but mm-hmm. that's kind of what they end up with. Um, and I do think that's pretty cool. Um, so yeah, if you go to one of your classes in the gym, you see you know young people there, you see older people there, like a huge range of ages. Um, are most of the people that come into the gym for the first time are they first time boxers? Are they people transitioning from another gym? Um, what do you typically see? About 90% is first-time boxers mm-hmm. or have watched boxing on TV and then they want to try it. Boxing in general also is very high level intensity. Mm-hmm. And so people who are also attracted to working out 
who love to do boxing because it's not the boring, let me run five miles cardiovascular, you know, on a treadmill where you're just going round and round and round. Definitely not that. Right. <laughs> but you still get an amazing workout when you yeah. do boxing. And so some people who are attracted to the fitness love boxing because it gives them another way to do fitness that's mm-hmm. fun, but also learning. Uh, you learn a technique, you learn a skill, you know, and I, I do feel like people generally want to learn, mm-hmm. but they need to be engaged in ways they want to. Do you think people are surprised by the just sheer volume of things to learn once they get into it? Yes, 100%. Because a lot of people, you know, the first misconception is uh, it's all arms, mm-hmm. you know, all arms in boxing. And they quickly realize their legs and their calves burn out pretty fast. Yeah. And then they start realizing, you know, that after like a couple months into it, even a couple months, you're still new. But after the first year or two, you realize there's much more to learn, you know. What are, what are some other misconceptions or misunderstandings <laughs> that people might have about boxing? I'll just tee you up right there, right. Mario. I'm sure you, I'm, I know you get that question all the time. So people really have this negative connotation of boxing. And mm-hmm. I've actually been turned down to rent spaces or to use spaces because we are boxing. And it really actually irks me pretty bad because we are an Olympic sport. You know, we're part of USA Boxing, which is no different than USA Swimming, USA Bowling, USA Tennis, and all the other USA sports. But for some reason, well, I know the reason because people are misconstrued about what's in boxing. And I have a lot of people, um, they'll say, they'll think, immediately think like the professional UFC mm-hmm. for boxing and like the bloodying and all that stuff. And that's in the amateur boxing, it is not like that. The, the referees will stop the fight six seconds too soon just because it's amateurs. Mm-hmm. But people don't see that. They just think of all oh, being punched in the face. And so that's one big misconception. And it really irks me. And, Another one is uh, all the boxers are violent people and they just want to, you know, I had a teacher, I worked at Winthrop University, and uh, one of the teachers was like, Mario, why do you condone so much violence? And I said to her, do you want these kids to do this in the streets or do you want them to do it in a controlled environment? Mm-hmm. And then I even step a step, went a step further and said, when these kids train, it takes, when they go to compete, I mean, I require my athletes 15 miles per week and then you're lifting two to three days and you're boxing three to five days and you're, let's say, stretching five days a week there's not much time to do anything else besides boxing yeah so it gives somebody a goal to work towards so they're not going out and hang out with their friends they'll turn down their friends or they'll turn down going drinking on fridays because they know they have to practice on saturday morning you can't fake any of that like if you're not doing those things that's very readily apparent right away yeah because if somebody comes in on saturday and they drank the night before and they spar they're going to get whooped yeah. because in sparring, we have some really good boxers in our gym and it's not that people are just, they'll, they'll beat you up, but they'll check you. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're online, you're going to get checked in some way, some form. Yeah. It's funny because you mentioned how these people, you know, from the outside might ask you, you know, why do you com- condone this violence? What's funny is nearly to a person, everyone that I know that for instance, works out or trains at your gym. If you saw them on the street, they're the nicest people you'd ever meet. <laughs> yes. You would not, a single, to the person, you would not think that is a violent person. Right. Um, and yet, they enjoy a sport that is, again, <laughs> inherently violent. Um, do you think, you know, part of the discipline, the 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 humbling, um, do you think all of those things, like, has a positive effect on someone's personality or, or psyche or just their mindset? 100% agree with you. Because of the fact that you know, when you dedicate something, to your, like a dedicate to a goal, it teaches you how to, one, set goals, two, how to maintain and work towards those goals, three, and then how, how much work it actually takes. You know, people see the fights, and the fights are the cream of the crop, right? They're the, the, but the fight is 
30 minutes, I'm sorry, uh, six, no, three, six, nine minutes of amateurs maximum. But yet they didn't see the 270 days or, you know, hours they put in prior to yeah, to get to that point. Yeah, They don't see that. And so that's, again, when you put that level of commitment into something, it means something. And people gain a lot of respect. They, I'm sorry, they gain a lot of uh, uh, respect for hard work and what it takes to be hard work and get to a goal. And then if they get to that goal of competing, they work their tail off to that. I mean, that's just icing on the cake. Like, you know, for those athletes who put that work in. Um, speaking of, I don't want, before we move off of the boxer mm -hmm. safety, um, explain the difference in like just safety equipment or how the sport is, 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 um, actually governed between like the pro level and the amateur level. Got it. One thing I'm going to mention real fast. Mm -hmm. If any uh, parent is interested in putting kids into soccer, Mm -hmm. Boxing has the same concussion rates as soccer, USA boxing, yeah. amateur boxing. A lot of people don't know that, and there's a reasons for that. They would think it's as high as football. No, not even close. You know, football is way up top, and then soccer is down, and then boxing is right with soccer. Because of the fact that, as you were saying, you know, when we spar, we have headgear on, one. Mm -hmm. We have 16-ounce gloves, two. So we're not boxing with, like, you know, like nothing on your hands. Mm -hmm. We have hand wraps, three. We have foul protectors, four. We always have a referee or judge judging each, even sparring sessions. A coach there who's been trained by USA Boxing is required to take classes to train athletes. And so, like, you know, the athlete safety. So there's all these checks. And then on top of that, when you compete, right, this is, the, this is a big one, give me another sport where in the amateurs or high school that you have to see a doctor before. And I'm not talking physical because that's already required as well. Mm -hmm. But give me another sport right before you compete. You have to go see a doctor. And then right after you compete, you have to go see a doctor again. There's not really. Yeah, that's it. The, the boxing is the list. Yes. And so when so we have all these protective measures, you know, to, to, to help these athletes out so they're not sustaining these massive injuries or concussions. That's, that, and that's why we do keep it down. Now, there are fortunate events that does happen. But, it again, comparable to soccer, high school soccer. One thing you touched on a moment ago um, is what you expect of your athletes as far as training and what you actually prescribe as far as training in between sessions at the gym. And you're not just throwing numbers or exercises at the wall. You actually, I mean, in addition to the boxing experience, you, you bring a lot to the table with your education. Kind of tell me a little bit more about that. <laughs> All right. So short list here. Yeah. <laughs> Master's degree in human nutrition, mm -hmm. bachelor's degree in exercise science, I am an associate's degree in science, and I have a certified exercise physiologist through American College Sports Medicine, which is top tier. So as a trainer, you're really Qualified. A to B, soup to nuts. Yes. I mean, from start to finish, from the fuel that the athlete is putting into their body mm -hmm. to, you know, the, the fitness regimen to prepare for the sport. And then as far as boxing goes, the ability to actually train the sport itself. Um, so for one of your pro fighters like Vit. What does that mean to him in him starting his career that he can come to one person that can help with all of those things? There is very limited coaches in the United States, I'll venture to say that, that have those levels of degrees. And I'm not, I'm not just saying that. I'm not trying to be arrogant. I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm not that way. But there's, there's It's okay a, if it's the reality. <laughs> it's the reality. It really is. And so there's, there, you know, a couple coaches in South Carolina have – bachelor's degree in like exercise science or exercise physiology or kinesiology, which is all similar based. But, but I don't think there's any that have that nutrition, the masters and for VIT to come to me, it's kind of a one-stop shop. 
you know, we don't need to go pay a nutritionist or diet. I'm sorry, not nutritionist, a dietitian to, you know, have his meal preps. preps. I taught with the university, so I, I can do that for him. Mm-hmm. And we don't need for somebody, to, uh, an excess physiologist to come in to make sure we're doing agility training and all the other cool trainings out there. I got that covered. And we don't need, you know, somebody like a mentor because, again, I've been doing this for, you know, 16, 18 years, somewhere in there, 17 years, 16 years. So I've learned how to mentor young men to go to that next level because there's a whole psychological aspect of boxing that a lot of people don't see. They see the fight, and that's really all, right? Mm -hmm. But the whole psychological effect of, like, mentally preparing these athletes to go into boxing. And, like... uh, you know, if you go in there with your men- mindset of a losing mindset, you're going to lose, you know, and, and trying to train that, that mental aspect to be a winning mindset as well. Hmm. So for someone like someone like any, well, any pro fighter who's starting out, even if they're highly skilled mm-hmm. and, you know, they're winning their first few fights, very rarely does that fighter, unless they're like an Olympic gold medalist, very rarely are they making enough yes. financially from those first few fights yes. in order to pay for a you know, a nutritionist and a fitness coach. And or in it, it, sometimes it's hard just to cover the cost of a trainer, let alone yes. multiple people, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so do you think that gives the boxer a little bit of an edge or does it make it easier for the boxer to bring in um, more? It, it gives the boxer the ability to bring in the nutritionist and all that when it's just one person, right? Because yes. otherwise, <laughs> like take Vit, for example. Yeah. Like in order for him to replicate really what he's doing with you, he would have to hire three people. Right. Um, and I think that people don't really realize like what that means in terms of the economics of pro boxing. Yes. And so for, you know, prize fighter, they may be able to hire three or four or five people to help manage all those things. But for someone starting out, it's rough. That's rough. That's an expense. Yes. Um, let's talk a little bit because I would do want people to understand what is the, what do the economics of becoming a pro boxer look like? And what does it take to get to the level where you're like able to make it be your livelihood? Well, we talk about the dedication. Mm-hmm. Economics, it does cost a lot of money. In the mm-hmm. professional boxing, to the boxer itself, it costs money. And, you know, the boxer themselves usually don't make a lot of money in the first five to ten fights. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't really make a lot of money. It's after that is when they start making money because then you start having – bigger fights and you have a more a bigger crowd following you. But big thing for the new boxers, they need people to come watch mm-hmm. and come come support them because these guys are, you know, working so hard like that. He works so hard. And when he has a team behind him supporting him, you know, financially wise as well, like through ticket sales or through, you know, just the whole idea of um, following on Instagram and, and stuff like that. Then when a promoter sees a young fighter, and they're like, okay, this guy's got a couple fights, but he's got 2,000 followers, 3,000 followers. You know, we can probably put him on our show, and we're probably not going to charge him a cover charge because that's very popular, charging cover charge for the professional boxers. And so because of the fact that they're kind of sure that he's going to bring in some people to the show. Mm-hmm. And it all works together. I mean, the promoter makes money as well as the, the boxer makes money. But, you know, there's a lot of costs that a lot of people don't know in the professional world. It's not just oh, I'm a pro, I'm making thousands of dollars. No, not at all. You know, a couple hundred dollars maybe for the first five fights, and then it starts going up. And then once you get past 10 and your record looks good, then you can start making a little bit of money. Yeah, and these guys, at that point, normally they have to have another job in order to just pay their bills. Yes. 
So they're working a job full time, basically trying to train full time mm-hmm. and make the time to actually prepare like in a camp situation for a fight mm-hmm. when they still have a job. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, so I don't know, like someone like Vid, I don't even know when he sleeps because <laughs> he's got a, a wife and kids and a full time job. Yeah. And he basically is at the gym all the time training. Yes. Um, speaking of his next fight. Next Let's talk about his next fight. He's got a fight coming up when? Fight. Two weeks, right? Two weeks. May 22nd, Saturday, May 22nd. Okay, where is it? It's in Rock Hill. It's at the Rock Hill Gymnastics Center, 400 Mount Gallant Road. Uh, this boxer he's boxing has 41 fights. Vit has five. Yeah, Just that's a big difference, right? <laughs> yes. This boxer boxing has more fights than Vit had in his amateur and his pro combined. Mm-hmm. And so a reason, like, Mario, you're crazy for taking this fight. Yes, a little bit crazy. But that's okay. Mm-hmm. It's a step-up fight. Uh, we did try to step up in fight three. It was a tough fight. He came out with a split draw. Then we had another pox- another opponent who's really tough, this last opponent. And now we're going even tougher to another opponent. Yeah. But again, styles make fights. And the style we had with the fight three with the draw, it guy had a really good style against Vit. Mm-hmm. This guy, I'm feeling pretty good about Vit going into this one. Mm-hmm. But he's got a lot of experience. And we can't never discredit. We never, we never, never uh, think of somebody less of just because of whatever reason. 41 fights, that person brings a lot of experience. He's a lot. Um, tell me about the style differences. Well, they're both about the same height, mm-hmm. and that's a good thing because Vit um, – he does a lot better when he boxing somebody who's at the same height. Mm-hmm. But the other guy is very crafty. He's very crafty. He has a lot of head movement. He'll kind of bait people in, and he'll counter a lot with some hooks or some um, overhands. So we have to watch for that because Vit will fall into that trap because Vit is very aggressive when he wants to be. Mm-hmm. And so we have to kind of mind the aggressiveness comparison to the counter traps. And so that's something we're going to be looking out for big time for his next fight. Tell me about Vit's style. I've right. watched him fight <laughs> several times, but <laughs> yes. for, for anyone who hasn't watched him. Yeah. He is a fun fighter to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a very a crowd favorite because, I mean, we've got fight of the night the last two fights because of the fact that his style, it's not a sit back style, but it's not like up in your face, sloppy style. Mm-hmm. Like he'll come in, he'll pop out, he'll come in, he'll pop out. He, you know, he'll throw combinations, he'll move his head, and then he'll pop out. Mm-hmm. Uh, fun to watch like uh, Lomachenko, mm-hmm. very fun to watch boxer. Vitz, we're kind of getting Vit to that style a little bit because he has the feet work and yeah. he has the head movement. He's for very it. quick. He's very quick. Mm-hmm. And so we're kind of molding him a little bit to be more on using that, what he what he's blessed with. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, we don't take easy fights. So all of our fights are tough. Yeah. And that's what makes, I mean, his style and we take tough opponents makes good fights, to be honest with you. Yeah. And it seems like, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like he's already getting a lot of attention for someone who's about five fights in. Yes. Um, what is, so what does that mean for him? Where does that attention, when, when I say someone's making some noise or hear like a boxer is, is getting attention, um, tell me about what the business, what that means in the business. So like who, who's, who's looking at him <laughs> like when people say that, like, who are these people? <laughs> these random people. <laughs> no. So he does have a lot of falling and he's actually picking up more falling. Um, people are actually coming to his shows more often. You know, every time he fights, I see new people, we introduce ourselves, you know, but Vit's also a very humble guy, too, so he, he's not afraid to go talk to anybody. You know, he'll just go talk to you, and he doesn't care who you are. He'll talk to you. Anyways, but the economic side, the more people that like and follow and come to the watch, you know, specifically Vit, the more, again, goes back to the promoter. Promoters be willing to put him on shows and want to put him on shows. Not just willing, but want, hey, let me put you on our show. And that's when the money starts changing a little bit. Mm-hmm. So instead of us, I'm the manager and his trainer, paying to get on these cards, now the managers come to us. I'm sorry, the promoters come to us and say, hey, what about this fight? Is that starting to happen already? 
Uh, well, not yet. Yeah. We have one promoter that we work with. Yeah. Actually, kind of, sort of. We had another promoter who came to us. Uh, I didn't like the deal, so we kind of turned it down. Mm-hmm. But we did have another promoter who came to us, and that was kind of a, a nice thing. Somebody obviously recognized Bit and who he was and then wanted us to be on the card. Does it help or hurt that he's boxing out of Rock Hill? Uh, he's got to start moving to other places. Mm-hmm. So this is, again, this is one of the last step-up fights, and then we start moving around a little bit. When you say moving around, like different parts of the country? Different parts of the – we want the southeast region right now. Mm-hmm. We want to go southeast region. Now, being that the internet is so easy for everybody to get on these these people, so but we want a homegrown crowd of the southeast, mm-hmm. and that's kind of what we're shooting for. So we're fighting here. They're looking at Greenville, maybe Tennessee, Greenville, South Carolina, Tennessee, um, Tennessee – and then looking at uh, some other shows like in the general southeast region. Mm. Um, speaking of styles, mm-hmm. I thought it'd be fun. Um, Trent has some some videos Let's queued up for you, Mario. <laughs> um, I thought it'd be fun to like throw some videos up here. And this is really for people who maybe like have watched boxing before, are kind of into it, um, but they don't really know what they're watching. You know what I mean? Because some folks, when if you're a casual boxing fan, kind of just looks like two people punching each other. Yes. Um, so these are some couple different generations of fighters, several different styles with some similarities, some some differences. We tried to like put together a, a good little mix. Um, kind of give, we'll watch each of these for like a minute or so and just kind of walk me through like as we watch them, um, what you're seeing as a trainer. Like if you're in one of their corners, like what are you going to tell them in the next, um, in the next break between rounds? Like what are you seeing as far as style, technique and that sort of thing? All right, let's do it. So you got Mike Tyson, mm-hmm. great fighter. Seeing this, yeah, against. So this is his first title fight. He would have been twenty years old here. Yep. All right, tell right the difference. <laughs> Mike Tyson, classical Mike Tyson, right there. Flash is knockdowns. Is that beginning of the second round? Beginning of the second round. Okay. So already gets a knockdown. <laughs> two seconds into the second <laughs> round. Uh, but pause it, right, pause it right after that knockdown, though, or back up to that first knockdown. Because, um, again, peop- the reason why I wanted to throw Mike Tyson up here is because people just think of Mike Tyson as, like, a brawler. Yes. Um, Not true. But he's actually, like, one of the most technical boxers you'll see. Very much. If you watch him box. Like, what are you seeing right there? Okay. Um, go back again for me. Trent. All right. Like, in first, terms of his footwork and okay. his hands and all that. Now, hold tight before you start it. I did watch the first round of this fight. Mm-hmm. And the thing about this first fight, I mean, the first round, he did a lot of, like, low shots to set up some of those head shots. You know, because Mike Tyson, obviously, he was 215 pounds, but he wasn't very tall. Mm-hmm. So, if you see, there's a clear difference of height right away. You want to try to get to that body, touch the body, touch the body, touch the body, get the hands dropping, and then, which he's known for, is those big shots. Yeah. But it... it so what you're not seeing here is the setup. You and got what it. Went into setting up these headshots. Yes, shots. yes. But we can kind of play through. Gotcha. See, that was a pullback overhand, mm-hmm. very classical of somebody's a shorter boxer uh, with a taller boxer, followed back up with some overhands. I'm sorry, some hooks, and then just massive power coming through. Um, go back again to the very first one. Point out one thing. Right, pull back just a hair. And can you slow mode it for me? Okay. So watch the shot. Right. He sees his long arms, and then you'll see him come in, pull out the jab, and then come with the over top. Mm-hmm. Stop right there a second. So being the shoulder boxer in the fight, you need the long arms to be out, right? Mm-hmm. Because then you can get through them. If you're going to try to break into somebody, 
their guard, especially being a shorter boxer, you have to be quick to get under those punches. And he did that purposely intently. If you see when he was doing it, he dropped his head down, pulled out the jab, knowing he had more speed, and then pulled back into an overhand. And then he just follows it up. So he also seems to have a lot of power from both sides. Oh, yeah. Um, and he, I mean, I know he's a traditional, but he's not a southpaw. No. But he, it almost looks like he's changing in between every punch. Like he's a southpaw one moment, and he's a, <laughs> in a traditional stance the next moment. So if you're, if you're in his corner, how are you telling him to defend against a guy like Jab, 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 jab. <laughs> and jab and then lay your two down. So, for example, you see how he's letting him just walk in. He's not challenging. When you walk, when you let a shorter boxer walk in and you have the height advantage, you just gave up your advantage. Mm-hmm. When you have the long arms, right, long arms, ones and two are safe because the distance that the shorter boxer has to cover is maybe two steps of his, one step of yours. And so if you do your jabs and you can slide back into a setup of power two, you can draw him in a couple times, but you'll see he just stands in front of Mike Tyson. He doesn't really try to... Obviously, he's standing right there. He's not really trying to move back, or, or he's moving back a little bit, but he's not really going to the circle and circling him with his jab. And that's, you see a little bit of his jab coming out there, but then you just saw he let him walk in with the, the, the hook. Mm-hmm. You can't do that, especially shorter boxers. You, you just can't let him walk in. The power difference um, is too much. One thing that's interesting is they're both wearing black shorts in this fight. Yes. And I'm pretty sure Tyson actually got fined like $5,000 for wearing <laughs> black shorts to this yes. fight against the against the mm-hmm. belt holder at the time. Mm-hmm. Again, he's walking him down. The guy's not challenging him with anything, any shots. If I was a shorter boxer, you're just going to let me walk in? Sure. I'm going to go ahead and do it again. He's trying to put his weight on him, the bigger boxer, which uh, is a tactic you can use to kind of wear some of the leg down. But not this early in the round. Looks like he's finishing him off here. Yeah, and right now is, that guy's done. He uh, doesn't really know where he's at. Let's see. Let's see. So he's clinching him pretty good, which is a big thing you can do as a taller boxer. But Mike Tyson's trying to get on the inside. You can kind of see his elbows going in. One of his shots right here is about to be an uppercut. There it was. Uh, his elbows are inside. When you elbows go inside somebody's arms, you can right go through the guard. And then classical Mike Tyson up to the guard, over top. So. I think he yeah, I think he knocked him out shortly thereafter. <laughs> but, um, let's go to the next one. Oh. But that's great because this this one, okay, here we got Lomachenko versus Miles, right? Uh, versus Nicholas Walters. This Walters, was a that's right. really good fight. That was a really hyped up fight. Um, but Nicholas Walters got outclassed. Yeah, a big time difference. So there was a lot of people going into this fight that thought that Walters actually had a chance because he is athletic going yes. against a very athletic Lomachenko, mm-hmm. somebody who's known for his hand speed. Um, but why was how was Lomachenko able to neutralize that? I think he did a lot of um, moving around him. So you can kind of see it right off the bat. Nicholas is a little bit tight guard, mm-hmm. and he's got a wide stance. Um, he's trying to look for some kind of counters because he obviously this is round seven, so he's been getting hit a lot. So he's kind of went back to that defensive posture um, to look for the guards. And he would do that because Lomachenko's out feet working him. He's working his feet. And you kind of see right there, he stepped on the outside of his foot um, to try to go on the outside. I think, yeah, Lomachenko's a southpaw boxer. So one of the things, stop right there. Stop right there. All right, stop. All right, go back just there for me. I'll show you something real, real important here. 
you'll see Lomachenko is his outside foot. See his right foot is on the outside of Nicholas Walter's front foot there. Mm-hmm. That's a classic thing you try to do as a southpaw boxer is you try to get the feet work on the outside. And why you do that is because when you step on the outside, your left hand, southpaw boxer, can I stop right there? All right. So clearly, you can see his foot's on the outside, right? What that does is takes his left arm, which is his straight hand, is a very powerful hand, and it creates it very close to his face. So if I'm working something with my jab just to distract him up top, but I'm getting my feet work on the outside, which he did, you can see that two is lining up to shoot down the center. Mm-hmm. And that's a very classic uh, southpaw boxer versus a traditional boxer. And with this one in this particular case, it looks like Nicholas Walters has already clammed up a little bit. He's letting Lemochenko move around him a little bit because he's kind of probably been hit a lot in this fight. And I think he shortly after this, he quits on the stool. Or does he quit on the stool in this one? He, I don't recall. We're okay. going to have to go forward. All right. I think he does. But you can see he played it out. Two will probably be coming. Um, you can see Lomo trying to look for it right now. He's looking for it. And then a quick little pipe pivot around. And then, of course, that backside hand comes out. And you can see he did uppercut first and then came with a hook. But, again, it all sets up off that front side foot beyond the outside. All right, you can Lomo is a master in feet work, I want to add. It just I seems think. like he's floating around his opponent. And you can see again, same thing. He moves on the outside. He pivots on the right side. Walters, and you see again, makes a miss. Mm-hmm. The other thing that does when you pivot on the outside of his foot like he does, you make Walters you neutralize his backhand. Because the fact that the positioning is when if I'm southpaw and I'm staying on your outside of your front foot, your left hand, I'm sorry, your right hand, traditional boxer, is further away from my face. And you have to do like a, almost like a turning. You have to almost turn your body to throw a two into it to land it. And it's kind of an awkward position. That's why Lomo is trying to get on the outside of his foot. You stop the power on the backside. Because no hook is going to come. That's going to land. It's too far out. The overhand is a possibility because you can step on the outside. The, but the backside uppercut is gone. The two's gone. The hook's gone. The big weapon there is is the backside uppercut. I'm sorry, the overhand could come. So Lomachenko is able to do this basically without consequence in this fight. Like, there's no counter. Yes. How would you coach a counter to someone trying to establish that outside foot dominance, like a southpaw? So quickly, if you can go back and kind of watch some of the things. Go back and watch Nicholas Walters. Mm-hmm. You, oh, that's a good spot right there, too. But you kind of see where Lomachenko's right hand is over top of uh, Nicholas Walters' left hand. Mm-hmm. And kind of Nicholas Walters keeping it low, which is actually a problem in this fight for him because of the fact that if Lomachenko's right hand is over top his left hand, his now Walters' left hand is almost neutralized. Does that make sense? Yeah. So what Walters would need to do is he needs to stop stepping into the right side, check hook on the left side. So throw your left, check, and then circle to your left to get Lomo to your inside so you can throw your shots. Mm-hmm. And Nicholas Walters is known for some power. shot nice little backside uppercut by Lomo set up by feet work it almost looks like uh, Walters is you kind of see in his eyes he really doesn't he's kind of looks like he lost spirit a little bit seems, he seems kind of done by this point yeah. doesn't he mm-hmm. do you think that he was unprepared for this fight watching this <sighs> coaching wise I'm not gonna 
Not, not to make. disparage anybody, but I mean, it seems like you say Styles make fights. Yes, Styles did not make this fight. No, this is not on the surface. Then. It may have, but mm-hmm. not really. I think he just when you in the boxing world, there's different levels to the game, mm-hmm. and Lomo is top. I mean, he's top level. I mean, he did lose a Timo or a Fimo, mm-hmm. Tio Fimo, the other day or the other month, but he's still a top elite boxer. I mean, you got to remember he had some. He had the best amateur record. Period. I think ever, yeah. Yes. Like 340 something to like one or something. It, was it? Something crazy. Yeah. Um, and that's hard to be. Two Olympic medals. Yes. Two gold medals. That's that's hard. I mean, for even Nicholas Walters, you know, who's a really good fi- uh, good fighter, but you're boxing somebody who's in a different class. That's like putting a Manny Pacquiao versus uh, Pauli Malignaggi. I love Pauli Malignaggi. You know, he's a good boxer, but he's not at the Manny Pacquiao level. He's not. Yeah, I think this is it. Let's go to the next one, Trent. Great fight. <clears throat> oh, we got Canelo Alvarez. Very uh, good boxer. Um, kind of against the green boxer. Typically, they say Mexican boxers try to like go forward and throw you know crazy shots. He not so much. He's mm-hmm. he uses a little bit more of the smarts. I think he took some playbooks out of Floyd Mayweather's book after mm-hmm. he boxed them to be more elusive. He had to learn a little bit there. But this was a fight. He just tore this guy up. He's got a high guard. You can tell they were off the bat because the guy has height on him. You can see he's up by the temple. Actually, he's a little past temple, too. Not so worried about the body because the guy has to come down pretty low to get that body. He has a beautiful double-sided hook or double-sided punch. So he'll throw... Two punches off his left side, mm-hmm. and he'll dig in one of them. You'll see a lot in this fight. Right there is good. High guard, walking him down. Right there again. You see that he pops and then shoots another one again. Right there again. So he tries to get those. He goes up top, so goes down. Changing levels, changing angles. Mm-hmm. You want to see that again, Floyd? Yeah, please. That was good. You see, he, he's a very good at changing levels, um, using those high-low. Let's see what we got here. Using that jab to push him back a little bit. Let's see him set it up here. Jab up top, get the high guard in, get the, get, get, get the guard up. So that's more of a setup punch. He's trying to get him just to raise his hands mm-hmm. up, See, bring those elbows up, so that side, so that right hook opens up. Mm-hmm. In that case, but here, I think here's where he starts throwing. Boom. You, you kind of see how he's using that jab to push his head back up. Mm-hmm. Go back and back, just real fast, trying if you can. He kind of used that jab. It wasn't really a punch. It was really just to push his body back up. Uh, for Canelo, because he does left to go to the body, you know he's the guy. The other guy, Ryan, is crouched down, blocking his body, and he's using that jab to push him back up, just so he can drop down the body again. <laughs> <laughs> and he does it right there, <laughs> again, right there. I think he's, from this point, he's all over him. And you talk about you know, kind of taking their spirit. It seems like he doesn't really <laughs> want anything to do with those at all. <laughs> no. Like he's at this point, he's just trying to get through the round. Yep. 
you can definitely see it after on this fight he knocked him down and then you can kind of see his style change up but you can also watch too uh this guy in the, the white shorts he, he's kind of timid coming in um rocky he's kind of you can see him kind of high guard like kind of real tight versus when you're tight you show me that you're either nervous or you're showing me that you're 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 scared or you're showing me that you're and you're also wasting a bunch of energy too yeah. when you're tight like that and clam down you're wasting a lot of energy that you don't need to be using or wasting. And you're not ready to move. Yes. You got it. From a scientific standpoint, when our muscles are kind of engaged already, we actually lose force of our muscles. Mm -hmm. But when they're loose, we have more muscle mass to grab so we can actually produce more force and power. Mm -hmm. So him already being in a clamped position, he's already losing some of his muscle force because his muscles are already engaged. That's interesting. At one point in this round, I'm pretty sure the announcers say like, he has no power. His power's gone right yes. now. And that's probably why, because he was just so tight, he wasn't able to produce any force. Yes. Canelo does a really good job. He uh, he digs his hooks, so he goes behind the elbows a lot, because when people go into a tight guard, they usually bring their hands and elbows up front. Mm -hmm. Well, Canelo will start checking the, as he did right there, he checked behind the elbows. And then that allows, when they do that, the elbows start opening up. And then allows a center for uppercuts, especially with power boxers like him. So he's forcing a choice on him, basically. Mm -hmm. You got it. And there's not a good choice. Either one is going to result in, in damage. Mm -hmm. And again, another classic example of taller boxer versus shorter boxer. Mm -hmm. But you see where the taller boxer is. He's against the ropes. Not where you want to be with a shorter boxer at all. You want to be in that center. You want to take over that center because of the fact that now the shorter boxer has to come to your your height. Or come to you. I'm sorry, come to you. And again, when you're the taller van or taller boxer, you have the advantage of one of your steps could be two of the shorter boxer's steps. Mm -hmm. And so, or one of your pivots could be they have to do something twice to get in. So you kind of force them to, one, burn more energy. So they have to double step to come at you. You force them to burn more energy to come at you, and you challenge them with your long punches. And then when they get inside, um, you can kind of work, but he's got to pivot. He's got to pivot more. So this is a more mature, developed Canelo. Absolutely. Um, who at this point is a, a master of distance, head movement, defense, and moving defense into offense. I think the next one is an interesting, again, an in, interesting clash in style, but also kind of shows the difference between a more developed fighter and a younger fighter. And this is Mayweather and Canelo. I believe Canelo was 21 in this fight, I believe. Just stop right there and think about that. 21, think about, and I think Floyd was... 30, maybe 35 mid 30s yeah just think of the developmental thought process of a 21 versus a 35 year old mm -hmm. nothing against a 21 year old but i'm just saying you know there is a little bit more wheels turning sometime in that 35 year old especially somebody like floyd who's an amazing athlete in general and he's been doing it for a long time yeah, he's just a master at this point he's an old master yes. but he still has all the absolutely same athleticism <laughs> as young floyd <laughs> yes. you kind of see off the bat, this fight, Canelo is not as uh, secured. You can kind of see he's kind of jumping in a little bit, a little lungy. Mm -hmm. um, versus the other fight, he was much more felt confident. He's over that front foot a lot. Mm -hmm. You can definitely see, though, Canelo does have power. I mean, there were some good shots, and he landed on uh, Floyd uh, before he grazed a lot. But that jab, just look at that jab just for a second from Floyd. You can keep playing it. But you'll see it throughout the whole night. 
Floyd being a defensive boxer and a counter boxer at that, that jab is crucial. That jab's kind of like that annoying gnat, or gnat that just keeps flying around your face until you do something about it. Mm-hmm. And then when you do something about it, you counter. And that's kind of what he does. He kind of lays that jab out there a lot on him to establish distance, not let him come in. But then when he eventually comes in, you'll see him counter. Like, right, he'll probably, so this one he didn't counter, but, you know, later in the round, he'll, he'll start countering those shots. Floyd's just so elusive. He's very elusive. And you kind of see he's smart, too. He knows when to unload and knows when to kind of uh, bring his um, energy levels down. And that kind of helps him, not so much in the first couple of rounds, but you start getting around 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. Mm-hmm. You start getting, getting tired in those legs. Yeah, he never seems to be gassed. Mm-mm. He's very relaxed. Relaxed gives you a lot more energy. You're not burning much energy, being relaxed posture. Again, you see that jab everywhere. Tell me about his style of defense. <laughs> <laughs> we can talk. We, how long do we have? <laughs> Floyd is great, man. He's a really good boxer. And I, I, I take nothing away from his boxing ability. He is, a, you know, um, his style, he, he'll, he'll, he's a thinker. Mm-hmm. He's a very much a thinker. And, you know, everybody said, Floyd's so dumb, Floyd's so dumb, blah, blah, blah. He's not a dumb man. He's a smart man. He just, you know, the different areas that people are successful with in his areas, aesthetics, or not aesthetics, uh, yeah, aesthetics, movement. Mm-hmm. And so he has a very high IQ in that area. He's able to see punches coming. Again, his body's already relaxed. So I was going back to that muscle force. He's able to manipulate his muscles to be more powerful, generate more power in that moment to slip out. And that could be the difference of, a graze versus getting clocked. Mm-hmm. And you'll see it time and time again. People are like, oh, just, you know, just grazing, just grazing Floyd, just grazing Floyd. That's because he's got that timing down. And there's a lot of things that he does. He, he'll adjust. I've seen Floyd adjust a lot. Like after the first round, he's feeling people out with his jab. That's another reason why he's a jab. Feel out, feel your distance. How fast are they? What are they going to counter back with? What are they going to do with the jab? You know, how are they going to react? Are they kind of going to get frustrated? Are they going to get real mad and come in? That jab is kind of like that feeler in the game. Mm-hmm. And then by round two, in a lot of his fights, he's pretty much figured the opponent out. And now it's just, from that point, keeping that jab out there. But then when they try to counter, because in the first round he watched, now he counters back and then he moves. And then you can see this during later of the rounds, he really put, put the work on Canelo later in the rounds. Again, you see Canelo a little bit on his back heels versus that fight that we watched prior to. He was very much prompted in front. Jab it seems like Canelo's trying to win the fight with every punch. Mm-hmm. There's not as much of a game plan <laughs> and just every fight, every punch is the punch that's going to win the fight. Whereas Floyd, he's, he looks at the, he like plays the long con. Like yes. he's playing the long game. He, th- he thinks about the whole fight and he's ready to go the whole fight. This is round four. You can kind of see Mayler turned up a little bit. He's got a little bit more lean forward posture, so he's ready to counter. Um, a lot of those punches you're seeing are grazing his shoulder. And so talk, tell me a little bit about, you know, the shell defense, because a lot of people might say they'll be like, man, he throws a lot of jabs, but that that front hand is, is low all the time. So 
it seems like a jabber or you know someone who throws or fights behind a jab would normally keep that that lead hand up mm-hmm. but he keeps he fights with that um in more of a shell defense tell me like why he does that or what that defense actually does so you can see he threw mostly what jabs right yeah and he's throwing from his waist side but his jabs they may not have a lot of power to it or they may have power to it but he has the ability to i'm going to throw this one power shot this one a quick shot this one a feeler shot just throwing it out there and with that being down like that with fast boxers you can kind of just whip it up there kind of like flicking it out mm-hmm. per se mm-hmm. but and you can flick it or you can flick it and then straighten your arm completely and make a straight arm and put a little power into it and you can see some of his body work he was doing he would flick it out and then push his punch to one, push Canelo back just a little bit. Because, again, when you get hit in the stomach, and even if it's not a hard shot, it's a push-through shot. You know? You're know, you kind of pushing them back on the heels a little bit to get them off you. Um, but that's the Philly shell, I, I don't mind the Philly shell, to be quite honest. I know some of my boxers in my gym use it, but you got to be really comfortable with shots coming at you. I um, When you are in the Philly shell, you are almost inviting people to throw at you. It's kind of like a baiting and then. And that's the whole point of it. You're baiting somebody in to counter back. And you can see Floyd, his backhand is one of his hard shots, particularly the two or the backside upper guy will fall through. But anyways, um, in that Philly show, you have to be prepared to have shots come at you and use your front shoulder to almost manipulate their arm to kind of get them off balance a little bit. It's kind of like if something's coming straight at you and you just gently turn it over to the side and kind of redirect the shot. But the weight's still coming forward and the momentum's still coming forward. Kinetic force is still coming forward, but you're redirecting it. So then the person who's throwing the shot has to reverse the kinetic force and pull it back, which takes a lot of energy. Mm-hmm. It takes a lot of, you know, you, you got to pull it back, but you also could be off balance. And then that's where the counters come in. If you just take a shot and somebody's coming at you full straight and you just redirect it, the weight's still coming at you. That time to pull back into a boxing stance gives you the time to counter. It, oh. it, it's that split second difference gives you time to counter. And that was, that was just a fleeting shot by <laughs> <Yeah>. Canelo. <laughs> so Floyd definitely like established the dominance here. Yes. And um, kind of continued this. And you can tell, you know, the more mature Canelo in the later fights, kind of like you said, what he took from this. Yes. And what he figured out he had to work on. Um, let me ask you this. Cause I've, I've heard it. I've heard it. Both ways. And I've heard it both ways even, you know, from you. Yeah. Um, is boxing more of an art or a science? <laughs> both. <laughs> <laughs> both, for sure. It's mm-hmm. like the science aspect, like think about what I was just saying, the kinetic force, right? That's yeah. science. It's like the pure, to the purest science. But then there's an art to it. You have to kind of be graceful. You can't be clunky feet. You can't be like, you know, robotic. You have to be fluent. You have to be... Let the flow go. And we always say in our gym, be the water. We steal a course from Bruce Lee. Be the water. You know, when a rock comes at you, you have to flow around the rock. A punch comes at you, you have to learn to adapt and overcome that shot. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't just take those shots or you just get punt beat up, you know. So there was a, a science and then there's the art of boxing. And that's why, I mean, a lot of people call the sweet science. Exactly. <laughs> Well, so if someone wants to get into boxing, someone wants to learn, um, how do they get in touch with you? How do they get over to Lightbrite? We are on every social media except for TikTok. We're not on TikTok, but we have an Instagram. We have a Facebook. We have Twitter. We have YouTube. We even have Snapchat. And so it's a Lightbrite Boxing, and that's L-I-G-H-T 
B-R-I-G-H-T, boxing, or light bright box. But you'll see the symbol, our, our light bright logo is pretty, it's yellow. <laughs> <laughs> There's a reason it's yellow. Yep. <laughs> yeah, and uh, you can follow us on any of the social medias. Or you can also email us at lightbrightboxing at gmail. And then you can go to our website, lightbrightboxing.com. And there's all different ways, forms to get a hold of us. Awesome, man. Well, Mario, thanks for coming back. Thank you so much. I appreciate yeah, it. And we'll talk again after yeah. Vitt's next fight. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> right. See you, bud. See you. Thank you.